this morning we're starting 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And uh, this is the last chapter of the book. We've been working our way through the book of 2 Thessalonians over uh, the group of uh, the past few weeks. And it's a rather short book, but obviously you can see as we've been looking through it that it has some very useful and very interesting and very encouraging and very challenging content. And this morning we're only looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1 and then going down to verse 5. So it's not a long section that we're looking at today, but the question we're going to be asking as we look at this passage of Scripture together today is, is the Lord directing your heart? And when you look at the things that the Apostle Paul states in this brief section of this letter, you could see that he illustrates some of the ways that you can tell that the Lord is directing your heart. So again, turn with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. I'll give you a second to get there. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, starting with verse 1, this is what it says. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of Scripture together today, we pray that you'd help us to understand it. We pray that you'd help us to grow from it. And we pray that you would be honored in our lives as we seek to be men and women who welcome the direction that you provide to our hearts. We're grateful that you do that for us. We're grateful for the kindness that you show us. And we pray, Lord, that we would understand more about the nature of how you direct us as we look at this portion of your word today. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I mentioned this just a few weeks ago, at least in part. Uh, but just a few weeks back, I had the opportunity to uh, make a surprise visit to my sisters while they were at a, a campsite. And I had found out that their families together were going to be at one particular area. I figured out the address. It was two and a half hours away, but I thought, you know what? I actually had the day where I could do it, and all my family at home was busy, and I was kind of by myself, and I thought, I'm just going to drive there and just randomly show up, and so that's what I did. They didn't know I was coming. They were surprised. My nieces and my nephews were surprised, and it was a lot of fun. And the place was kind of an interesting hybrid because half of the place was very much rustic camping, where you would just camp at, in you know, very uh, you know, primitive kind of uh, campsites. But then the other part of the place had some pretty nice entertainment and amusement type options that I thought, wow, this is more than you would expect at a campground like this, it had very nice pools, it had a very nice miniature golf course, it looked like it was well kept, uh, it had uh, like this nice store, and it sold ice cream, and there was a, uh, they even had bumper boats, do you ever ride bumper boats? They're harder to come across now, I don't see them as much anymore, but they had a, a lagoon full of bumper boats, and then they had another section with paddle boats. Now, I've always liked paddle boats, but if you've, if you've had the opportunity to ride a paddle boat anytime recently, 
that's a pretty good cardio workout, right? You know, if you're, if you're trying to move a paddle boat, you know, you're getting good cardio. So it tricks you into exercising. You know, it tricks you into thinking, I'm just going to relax out in the middle of a lake. It's like, no, you're not. You're going to ride a bike in the middle of the lake. That's, that's how, and you're going to pedal fast if you want to do anything. But I noticed one particular thing. And this was an improvement to what my past experience with paddle boats happened to be. I always considered paddle boats a little bit challenging to steer. They weren't always kind of the easiest thing to maneuver. You'd paddle, but you only sort of, kind of went where you thought you were going to go. And so I'm in this thing, and I'm there with my sister as my co-pilot, and my nephew in the back, you know, barking out directions, go here, go here. Uh, But one of the things that I noticed was that particular paddle boat was the easiest one I've ever ridden to steer. And it went exactly where you wanted it to go. And so you would turn this thing, you know, I mean, it basically, you know, effectively was the steering wheel for this thing. And you would turn it. It was kind of in the middle and in the back. And it would turn the rudder underneath and it would direct us where we were supposed to go. And it worked perfectly. And I enjoyed the, the trip out there on the lake a little bit more because it was so easy to direct that boat. And I think all of us could admit that direction is important in life, but it's also important to let yourself be directed. And that's the essence of the scripture that we're looking at today. It's not just talking about this idea of us giving direction. I think most people in this world probably would say that from time to time they enjoy giving direction. But this is a scripture that's about receiving direction. This is a scripture that's about being directed and the ways in which the Lord directs us and the ways in which we should submit our hearts over to Him as He does so in a gracious and kind manner. And so we can see here some of the ways that the Lord directs our lives, particularly as we yield ourselves over to Him by faith. And I want to point out a few of the things that the Lord brings up in this portion of Scripture. And the first is this. When you look at verse 1, here it shows us an illustration of the fact that if you're somebody who yields yourself completely over to the Lord, that the Lord is going to direct you to advance the spread of the gospel. Now think about that statement even before I reread verse 1. What does it mean to be someone who yields themselves completely over to the Lord? And then how does the Lord direct us to advance the spread of the gospel? Well, let me reread verse 1. It says this. You have Paul as he's concluding this letter, and he says to them, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Now, let me pause there. Just one verse I want to start us off with, kind of pick this apart a little bit here. Doing hard things can be valuable. Doing hard things can be enjoyable. All of us are called to do hard things at different seasons of life, and I think some of the hard things that the Lord's called me to do, I've actually rather enjoyed some of those hard things. And, and I, I have to admit that sometimes if I don't feel like something hard is on the agenda, I almost invent something hard to do because I don't want to just kind of float backward and sit on my hands. But one of the things that I've noticed is that even when you're doing hard things, and even if you can acknowledge that doing hard things is valuable and enjoyable, if you want what you're doing to be sustainable, you need others to support you. It's not going to be sustainable if others aren't partnering with you in it and supporting you in it. And when you look at Paul's life, Paul was the type of guy who was not afraid to do hard things. He was willing to do very difficult things. 
but he was also very grateful for the support of the churches that got behind him and helped him with these efforts. And you have this in, you get, we should have that in mind as we look at what he says to the Thessalonians in this last section of the book. Because Paul was somebody who was motivated by the spread of the gospel. He wanted to see the good news of Jesus Christ spread wherever he found an open door to do so. And so he followed the Lord's direction to spread the gospel in Thessalonica. He was looking to continue spreading the gospel in new cities and new areas. But for his efforts to be truly successful, he knew that he needed the support of his brothers and sisters in Christ in a very specific area. Do you notice where he asks for their support as he's advancing the gospel? He wants them to join him in prayer. He wants them to pray for him. That's what he's asking them to do. He's asking them, he says, finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Because he wants the gospel proclaimed. He wants it, wants it preached. He wants to have an open door to go place to place, city to city, locality to, to locality, making the gospel known. And again, for his efforts to be truly successful, he needed the prayer support of his brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, as Paul's winding down this letter, and it's just a brief letter to the church, he asks them to pray for him. And by the way, he's not just asking them to pray for him in a general way. He gives them very specific things to pray about. He asks them to pray that the gospel would keep advancing and would keep touching hearts as it's proclaimed city to city. So as the gospel's being proclaimed city to city, place to place, person to person, you have Paul basically saying, all right, pray that this advances the way that it's supposed to advance. Pray that in a very speedy and a very active way that this is received. And I want to say this by way of application, not just by way of observation. We could obviously observe that this mattered to the Apostle Paul, but think about this in a personal way as well. If our hearts are in line with the Lord's desire for us, I believe that we'll also very clearly experience the nudge from him to participate in the advance of the spread of the gospel. And I think that that's a joyful activity that the Lord wants all of us as believers, not just apostles living during the first century, right? The Lord wants all of us as believers to participate in the advance of the gospel. This is something that we're all to engage in, every single one of us in one way or another. It's our privilege and it's our joy to testify to the world that Jesus has saved us and desires to save them as well. And so you have Paul asking the church to partner with him and to pray in a very specific way that the gospel would be advanced. And he's going to list a few other areas that he wants them to be praying about. But this is something I just want to bring to our attention for starters at the opening of this passage, because this is a burden that should be on our hearts as well, that the Lord would... You know, I always look at it this way. We're only here for a very, very short period of time. And so many of the things that I have spent my life engaged in don't matter beyond the, it, the, the specific moment. You know, last night at 10 o'clock, I turned on my lawn sprinklers because my back lawn is brown now. You know, it looked so beautiful a month ago. And now we're not getting any, any rain. But I thought, all right, the back lawn is brown. I just need to accept it. We're not getting rain, but I am going to do everything I can to save that front lawn. I'm going to save the front lawn. It's got a few brown patches in it, but it's still mostly green. So at 10 p.m. last night, I'm setting up a lawn sprinkler. I'm out there watering the lawn. You know, that's not good for our family budget. 
why do I care? Like, why would I spend money for water to water a lawn that for a few months might look good, but then eventually winter comes and you have to start the process all over again? And so sometimes I think to myself, you know what? There are portions of your life that are so meaningless. Like, it has absolutely no ongoing purpose beyond the moment. But when you think about the things that the Lord allows us to participate in that actually matter forever, and we compare it to how many things that we find ourselves engaged in that don't really matter beyond the moment, isn't it nice to think about that the Lord actually allows us and equips us to participate in something that matters forever? The proclamation of the gospel. I had the opportunity twice this week to share the gospel with unbelieving people. And it brought such joy to my heart, and I was so grateful for the ways that the Lord had clearly orchestrated the opportunity, because one of those opportunities came about when somebody asked me a question related to my core motivation. Like, what motive? the question was, what motivates you in life? What motivates you in life? And in, and in answering that, I had the opportunity to share about my desire to glorify God. And it became a discussion where we talked about it for a little while. We actually talked about it for more than a half hour. And then I had another instance a little bit later in the week to share the gospel with somebody. And so in the midst of that, I felt energized. And I thought about this as I was looking at this portion of Scripture this week, because this is something that the Lord impresses upon our heart, and He creates the desire for us to do. He directs us to advance spreading the gospel. That's what the Apostle Paul was being directed to do. That's something as your heart is yielded over to the Lord that you'll be directed to do as well. And so Paul asked the church to partner with him in prayer that that, that would continue to progress. But there's something else that he brings up when you look at the, the next couple verses. When you look at verses 2 and 3, here he talks about the fact that The Lord will protect us from evil in the midst of this. Look at what he says here in verse 2. He says, and that we may be delivered. So he's continuing this prayer request. This is the continuation of that prayer request. He says, and that we may be, and that, let me try it again. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That is a very comforting set of verses, to think that the Lord would establish us and guard us against the evil one. One of my my, uh, favorite places to be growing up was at my grandparents' house. And uh, I was talking about this with my sisters not that long ago, just some of the fun things we would do at their house during this time of the year during the summer, and uh, we would spend a lot of time with them. It was like, it was better than going to Disney. Going to my grandparents' house, loved it. And um, one of the things that was interesting about their home, they lived in a row home in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, so not a lot of space, but there was still plenty of space, and, uh, but they didn't have a separate kitchen table. They had a, a kitchen table that was really like bar seating that would come out from the wall, and it sat up high, and there were tall stools that went on either side, and I always thought it was the coolest way to eat a meal, because we were little kids, but we got to sit up on these tall stools around this table, and they set it up so that there was storage underneath that table. 
and there were these cabinets that you could open up. And I remember one particular day, my grandfather, who was sitting next to me, reached underneath there to get something out of that storage cabinet. And he slid the door open, and he went down, and he was getting whatever he was getting. They would treat it like a pantry, and so he was probably getting some food items or salt or something out of there. But on his way back out, he banged his head pretty hard on the edge of the table. And I remember watching that, and I, I, I thought, ow, that had to have hurt. And I just saw him holding the back of his head. A little bit later that day, he went under there to get something else. And when I saw that happen, he didn't catch on that I was doing this. But I went over, and I put my hand above his head. So I was probably like eight years old. And I put my hand above his head so that my hand would be between the table and his head. And uh, then as he was coming back out, he was careful that time not to, to bump it, but that's when he noticed that his eight-year-old grandson had put his hand between the table and his head to pre- prevent him from hitting his head again. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I didn't want you to bump your head. And he's like, yeah, I could see that you were doing that. He's like, but if I hit my head as hard this time as I did last time, that would have hurt your hand quite a bit. And I was like, well, I just didn't want you to hit your head twice, you know. And, I, and he, he looked at that, and I just remember... It was a moment, you know, you're always convinced growing up that your grandparents love you and your parents love you. This was a moment, I think, for him where he was convinced, my grandson must love me, that he would bother to risk injury to his hand to prevent me from hitting my head off this thing. This was kind of like a guardrail, you know, just put my hand there so he wouldn't hurt his head. And I think, you know, that's the type of thing we're all probably willing to do for somebody that we love. And I think if an immature child could do that for his grandfather to protect his grandfather... How much more do you suppose that our perfect God is willing to protect in a loving way, to lovingly protect his own children? You know, if a child can think to do something like that for a grandparent, how much more is our loving God willing to protect and guard us? Paul is addressing that in this portion of Scripture. He was aware that the Christians in this world who are choosing to be actively directed by the Lord. So if you're one of those believers who is choosing to be actively directed by the Lord, along the way, you're going to experience some obstacles and you're going to experience some opposition. And much of that opposition is going to come at the hands of people who are bent on doing evil because their lives are presently being directed by the evil one. Their lives are presently being directed by Satan even those that don't realize that that's the case. In fact, I would suspect that most people don't realize that that's the case when it's actually happening. And so you have the Apostle Paul talking about these things here and having experienced many instances in his own life of opposition and harm, things that had happened to him in the past as he was proclaiming the gospel place to place, Paul asks the Thessalonians to pray for his protection from evil. He just asked them, listen, when you're praying for me, pray that the Lord would protect me from evil. Pray that the Lord would protect me from those that have evil motives. Pray that the Lord would protect me from the evil one working through people to bring harm to me. So pray that the Lord would guard. Pray that the Lord would protect me. And the Lord's doing the same for us as well, is he not? I mean, isn't that what the Scripture said? The Lord tells us through the Apostle Paul's words here, specifically that he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. But have you ever considered some of the ways that the Lord right now, presently, is protecting your life from evil? Do you ever think about this? I mean, there's obvious ways, 
But there's also subtle ways that the Lord can be protecting us from evil. So I think one of the obvious ways, if we're thinking about this from a spiritual standpoint, we would say, okay, there are spiritual ways that the Lord is protecting us from evil that we may not immediately perceive. And we may not even see. You know, Scripture tells us in places like Ephesians 6 that there are spiritual battles taking place all around us that we don't necessarily even see. Right? There are things that, are, that, that go on all the time. Battles taking place all the time. We don't even see those things. So one of those things, you know, so we would say, all right, the spiritual protection that the Lord's providing for us is something we may not see, but we accept. So since we would commonly accept that, we'll put that in the category of one of the more obviously uh, taught truths in Scripture related to His protection. But how about this? Isn't it also accurate to say that there are times that the Lord has protected you during the course of your life by speaking a word to your conscience in a particular moment. Have you ever had a moment that that seemed fuzzy and unclear, but you could perceive that the Lord in that moment was trying to tell you something in your conscience when you felt like obvious signs weren't clear to you? I believe that that's one of the ways that the Lord speaks to our conscience. I believe He speaks to our conscience through the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe he also speaks to our conscience through his word. You know, there are times that I've been going through the word of God and I'll come across something that will convict me in a way. I remember at one of the most powerful times of conviction that I experienced was when I was a college student. It was during the summer months and I just sat down one day and I was reading through the gospel of Luke. And I came across a portion of scripture in the gospel of Luke that convicted me of how harshly I was and how unfairly I was judging other people in my life. And I remember sitting there and reading it and rereading it and rereading it and coming under such conviction that I was being way too harsh in my judgment toward others, that I wasn't looking at the things in my own life that I needed to confess and repent of, but I was doing a really good job of overanalyzing some of the people in my life. And I remember sitting, I was at a, just at a table by myself reading the scriptures and just realizing that the Lord was speaking to my heart. He was speaking to my conscience in that moment through his word. He protects us from practicing evil. He protects us from experiencing or fomenting up additional evil through the teaching of his word. I believe also that the Lord protects us through the people he puts in our life who speak into our life and who give us wisdom and give us direction. I believe he speaks to our conscience and he tells us where to go and where not to go and people to be involved with and people that maybe for a season we need to avoid. I I believe he speaks to us about who we allow to influence us. I think there are all sorts of ways that the Lord guards and directs the course of our life and protects us from evil. And I bring up some of those examples, not not to pretend like that's an exhaustive list, But I do believe those are some of the main ways that the Lord protects us from evil. And what I want to say to us in the midst of the context that we live in right now is don't dismiss the benefits of the Lord's protective hand upon your life. Don't dismiss the benefits of the Lord's protective hand upon your life. Recognize that He actively and lovingly protects His children from evil. And as you recognize that, what ends up happening is as you can see that the Lord is doing that for you, you start to develop a considerable level of confidence in Him and in His presence and in His ability to accomplish His work in your day-to-day life through various seasons and through various tests that may come 
your way. The Lord will protect you of e- or, or from evil. That's what His Word has promised to do. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, you have the Apostle Paul asking the church at Thessalonica to pray about that for him, to just lift him up before the Lord, asking for the Lord's guidance, asking for the Lord's protection, because he was taking very obvious risks in the midst of a season and in the midst of a culture that wasn't embracing the message that he was proclaiming. Something else that that Paul brings up about the Lord's direction in our day-to-day lives, we see in verse 4. And there it shows us that the Lord directs us to apply His Word to our day-to-day lives. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says this, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things we command. Again, he says, we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. So, just uh, earlier this week, I, was, I happened to be looking at uh, one of my online accounts. Specifically, it's an account that I have with Amazon, where pretty much I, I'm at the point where I think I buy 97% of everything I ever buy through them at this point. It's kind of getting that way. And uh, I realized when I was looking through that account that I had a $2.50 credit that I could use for a book. And I thought, oh, well, that, like, that's music to my ears, you know, because when it comes to, I don't, I don't buy a whole lot of things. I don't update my wardrobe as often as I should. I don't update my shoes as often as I should. I don't change the oil in my car as often as I should. But when it comes to books, well, of course, like, I mean, a $2.50 credit, I even put it out online and I asked my friends for suggestions. I said, guys, I have a $2.50 credit in my account for something on Amazon. I could buy a digital book of any kind I want, and I have this credit toward it. And many books you could get for under $3. So essentially, that was like a free book. And I thought, wow, what free book should I get? I was so excited about it. I I pulled my friend group, and I said, guys, can anyone suggest something to me? And then I thought, oh, you know what? You, you, better, you better make sure that people understand you're looking for something that's nonfiction, because unfortunately, I have a lot of weird friends that read fiction, and I'm like... Ah, Aren't those people the worst, right? Can't we all collectively agree that fiction readers are the worst? And half the congregation right now is like, wait, I only read fiction. This is the worst pastor ever. No, I, but my preference is I do read fiction like once every 10 years. I'll pick up a fiction book and read it. Uh, but it's pretty rare. So my preference is to find something that's nonfiction that teaches me how to do something. That's t- typically what keeps my attention. I like reading things that are going to teach me either about something that I want to know about or something that teaches me how to do something that I don't know how to do, or if I do know how to do it, maybe I can learn how to do it a little bit better than I was able to do before I read the book. So that's what I would put out there. I just ask people, like, could you, could you suggest something to me that would be practical, that teaches me what to do? That tends to be my general reading preference. And I got lots of good suggestions, more suggestions than that $2.50 credit is going to help me to be able to purchase. But regardless, when it comes down to it, I've never found a book more interesting or more practical or more helpful than the Bible itself. And that's the honest truth. And a lot of the things that I enjoy reading are basically just taking content from the Bible and expounding on it and talking about it a little bit more in depth. And throughout His Word, you have the Lord communicating all we need for life and godliness. It's all there. He communicates it to us. 
And His Word gives us wisdom on how to live. His Word gives us wisdom on how to serve. When we're looking through the Word of God, He gives us wisdom on how to raise our families. When we look through the Word of God, He he gives us wisdom on how to treat people we disagree with. Does anyone disagree with anyone about anything? Or are you just very agreeable people? Karen and I were talking about this before uh, the worship service began today. We're like, wouldn't it be nice if people just allowed each other to have the freedom of their own conscience without feeling like they had to get on everybody's case about everything that they disagreed about all the time? Can't we just do that from time to time? How about just at least here? Like, let's just at least do that here. But the Word of God teaches us how to react to one another, how to treat one another respectfully, even if we disagree. The Word of God teaches us how to honor God. And we see this all throughout the Scriptures. And it wouldn't surprise you to know that I read the Word of God regularly. I don't think that you'd give me the opportunity to serve in this role if I wasn't reading the Word of God regularly. But I want to caution us about a danger that sometimes those of us that read the Word of God regularly might sometimes be unaware of. And the danger is this. Sometimes we can start reading the Word of God out of a sense of duty than out of a sense of delight. Now, if you've been a a believer in Jesus Christ for a while and you've grown up in the church, I'm certain whoever has served as your pastor during those years has tried to convince you of the benefits of reading Scripture. I've done that. Every pastor I ever had did that for me. Every good pastor I've ever met has done that for their congregation, modeling it and encouraging them to read the Word of God. And so many of us make it part of our routine. We look at a certain time of day and we say, okay, this is the time of the day that I read the Scriptures. And that's great. We should be disciplined about that. However, the mistake we can make is when we start reading just out of a sense of duty and we forget the delight that we can have in examining what the Lord's revealed to us in His Word. Because if you read just out of a sense of duty and not out of a a sense of exploration and delight and excitement, what ends up happening is you run the risk of skimming the Word of God over and never really applying it to your day-to-day life and never really allowing it to convict you in any meaningful way. So when Paul instructed the Thessalonians, he gave them godly counsel here that the Holy Spirit inspired him to give to them. And you have that counsel reflected in Paul's letters to this church as well. And as Paul instructed them, he didn't want them to just mentally assent to his teaching in the sense that, yeah, we're aware that you said that, Paul, but that's as far as it went in our lives. He wanted them to apply it to their day-to-day lives. He wanted them to live out the instruction that the Holy Spirit had inspired him to communicate. So in our case... It doesn't hurt for us to be reminded to do the same thing when we look at this particular passage of Scripture. As people of the Word, as people who are living lives directed by Christ, we're called to apply the teaching of Scripture to our day-to-day lives. The Lord hasn't called us to debate or argue with Him about what He's communicated. He's called us to trust Him enough to say, yes, when He blesses us with His divine counsel, when He blesses us with His encouragement when he blesses us with his instruction. One of the things that if you're a a parent of young children, I realize that you've probably already noticed this, but when you're trying to instruct young children and you tell them to do something, sometimes you get resistance. Have you ever experienced this? (laughs) And as you get that resistance, sometimes you try and work with it, but other times you find yourself saying, okay, enough. Enough. Because I'm not going to debate every single thing I tell you. 
I'm not going to debate every, like sometimes it's critical for your own safety that you listen in the moment, that you trust me enough that you listen the very second I tell you this thing because it's for your own good, it's for your own well-being, it's for your own safety. And sometimes I wonder which we're better at, debating the Lord or saying yes when he speaks. Because there's sometimes I think the Lord wants us to, to, to respond to him and listen to him quickly, not just eventually. I think there are times that he wants us to listen to him quickly as a reflection of our trust in him. And if I trust somebody and they tell me something, I'm more apt to listen to it. But sometimes our debates with the Lord that go back and forth or, or our delays to listen, it really comes back to a trust issue and may expose areas where we're struggling to trust him. Because if we trust him, we're more apt to listen quickly than if we're struggling to trust. And so here you have the Apostle Paul, again, telling the Thessalonians, the Lord will direct you to apply His Word to your day-to-day life. And that's something that we should take to heart as well. But one other thing I want to point out here about the Lord's direction, and I think it's very practical and very useful to us, and it's found in verse 5 where it shows us that the Lord will guide you toward His love and steadfastness. Look at what it says in verse 5 here. Paul says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God, and to the steadfastness of Christ. So again, another short verse. You know, we've been looking at a very short portion here today, and next week we'll wrap up our study of this book. But here, he's saying, he's prepping them for some final words, but he's saying, now may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. Let me say this. There are many things in this world that will compete for your affections. There are many things in this world that compete for my affections. No matter where we go, no matter what activity we're involved in, there's always something trying to get our attention. So when you're online, what do you get? You get ads, right, all the time. When you're trying to drive, you see billboards. Again, when you're raising young children, what do you have? You have your name being yelled or screamed or your pant leg being tugged with regularity, again, to try and get your attention. But there's no greater affection that our hearts can experience than to have our hearts divinely guided toward a mature understanding of God's love and an appreciation for the steadfast, patient endurance of Christ. And so Paul is saying here that, you know, he's, he's basically saying this out loud as, as a prayer for the Thessalonians. May the Lord direct your hearts this way. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ, that your affections, that your attention would be drawn to those very things. And so as the Thessalonians grew in their faith, Paul expected to see more and more of this in them as they continued to mature. And likewise, as we grow in our faith, the Lord wants to see more and more of that in us as well, an affection toward the steadfastness of Christ, that our hearts would be directed toward the love of God. These are evidences of the fact that we're growing in our walk with Christ. I read a story less than a week ago about a medieval monk, and I I don't know all the context of the story, but what I read I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, many, if you, many of you know, if you've been inside Catholic churches, that typically there will be some sort of sculpture or something depicting the crucifixion of Christ that's almost always present there. And um, 
And so in this particular context, this monk who would hold these services, I, I guess typically he would hold them in the evening, he said to the congregation that he was speaking to, he said, next week I'm going to speak to you about the love of Christ. My message next week is going to be about the love of Christ. So a week went on, and the following Sunday evening, the congregation gathered, prepared to hear this message that this monk was emphasizing on the love of Christ. And they got into the church sanctuary, and they sat there, and it was mostly dark, but the monk who was leading the service had a candle. And this is all he did. I thought this was clever. He walked over to the statue of Christ's crucifixion, and he held the candle near the feet of the statue. And you could see the nail driven through the feet. Then he brought it over by the hands, and he shows the hands with the nails driven through them. Then he shows the side and the spear wound in the side of Christ. Then he brings it up to the head, and you see the crown of thorns on the head of Christ, and then he concluded the service. That was it. And what he was trying to do in his own way was say, here is the message, here is the demonstration of the depth of Christ's love for you. The nails in his feet, the nails in his hands, the spear wound in the side, the cross of thorns on his head, endured for you. Remember this in your mind. Remember this in your heart. And I think in our context here, it's useful to know that. Now, I'm not a big person on um, icons and, and things like that. That's, that's not my thing. That's not my expression of worship. Uh, different people have different opinions about that. But what I am a big proponent of is this. Living my life highly conscious of who Christ is and what he's done. And I have found that if I go through my life focusing on Christ in every context that he puts me in, I'm more apt to live with a heart that submits to him than a heart that rebels against him. Now, I've spent plenty of moments in my life, plenty of seasons in my life rebelling against the Lord, sometimes in just subtle ways that only the Lord would pick up on. And that doesn't bring my heart peace at all. You know, sometimes we think that rebellion against the Lord happens in just big, obvious ways. Well, I got to tell you, there are areas of my life throughout the course of my life that I, can, I have to be honest with you and say, no, that was an area I was rebelling against the Lord in that moment. It was an area of rebellion that nobody would have ever picked up on. But I knew where my heart was at in that moment. And so I've started to think, all right, what does it look like to live very conscious of the presence of Christ? What does it look like to live a life that's, that's very conscious of what Christ has endured so that I could actually have a relationship with him, so that I could have hope beyond this present moment? And as he develops a more mature understanding in my mind of all that he endured to bring me to this spot where I have the privilege to live as part of his eternal family, I find myself in a spot where my heart's more likely to be directed toward bringing him glory. And that's the message that the Lord wants us to embrace. That's the message that when you look at a portion of Scripture like this from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that the Lord wants us to hear loud and clear. He directs our eyes to see his face. He directs our hearts 
to appreciate His love. He directs our steps to walk in sync with Him as He leads us throughout the course of our lives. We can entrust ourselves to His care. Paul was demonstrating this, and he was communicating this here. And what he's basically saying, and this is kind of the big takeaway that I want us to take away from this today, and that's this, the Lord is worthy of both our submission and our affection. He's worthy for us to be submitting ourselves to, he's worthy of our submission, and he's worthy of our affection. And Paul was trying to help the Thessalonians to understand this many generations ago, but by the grace of God, we have the privilege to understand that today as well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and to think about the things that you're communicating to us in it. Lord, we know that By nature, we find ourselves frequently wanting to call the shots. We find ourselves frequently wanting to direct, more so than than being directed. But then we see what you inspired the Apostle Paul to write down in this portion of Scripture. And here we're given an example of what it means to be directed by you in all aspects and all areas of our lives. Lord, you are worthy of our affection. You are worthy of our submission. So, Lord, as you direct the affections of our hearts, we pray that we would be mindful not to be distracted by lesser things, but that ultimately our hearts would be yielded over to you, that we would fully submit ourselves over to you, and that we would rejoice in who you are and what you've accomplished on our behalf. Lord, we don't deserve the work that you've done for us. We don't deserve the pain that you endured. We don't deserve to share in your death and likewise share in your resurrection. But these are things that you grant us the privilege to be able to experience as we trust in you. So we're grateful for these things, and we're grateful for the fact that the Thessalonians had the opportunity to grow mature in their faith, and that this was something that the Apostle Paul was happy to see progressing among them, but we pray that that would also be the case for us in our particular context, that we would continue to grow mature, that our appreciation for all that you've endured for us would continue to grow, and that we would welcome the kind of direction that you desire to give us. Lord, thank you for offering us new life through your Son, Jesus Christ, and thank you for the privilege to walk with you today. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.